Okay, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 27, okay? And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one so you can follow along with us today. So feel free to slip up your hand. Don't feel weird about this. We pass them out literally every week. And so some interns will come and, and grab these for you, okay? So follow along with us. Acts chapter 27, let me give you just a quick quick recap because again we have a chapter and a half to cover and a lot of this I'm going to give you because it is a narrative um, I'm just going to kind of share with you the story we'll read the text and I'm just going to trust that you hear it and you know what's going on because it's just like reading a story Um, but there is one main and primary thrust that I'm hoping that listen when we get to the end of this thing in like 35 minutes you'll say okay this this is what he's asking right like this and I don't even mean he this is what the spirit of God is hopefully asking of us as a community this morning And, and it's this It is, I truly believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that the church is meant to be, in all areas with all people, a primary vessel of salvation for the world. Um, And this is spiritual, certainly, but this is also physical and emotional. And all places at all times, that is the calling of the church. Now, over the series of Acts, we've continued to kind of rail on this, like church, like, hey, maybe we need to do a bit more. Like, maybe we need to really open up the scriptures and begin to see this has got a lot more to say about what our lives and what our mission and ministry look like. Now, at times, there has been some pushback to that because, uh, like us all, we don't always like being told what to do. Right? So I think sometimes you open up scripture and it begins to say, hey, you're here, but maybe, maybe, this is, maybe love looks like this. Right? Maybe love looks a little more like self-sacrifice and we're not huge fans of that. Right? Um, but there was this, this moment this week where I had an opportunity to go to a local coffee shop and I won't share which one it was, but if you've ever been in line and, and you look off in the distance and there's the barista and you can tell they're just not having a great day. Right? Like, is any baristas in, in the house this morning? Okay, so you, you get it, there's a couple of you guys, right? Like you're, just, you're, just, you're not having a good day, you have to talk to people all the time, and so it can be frustrating. So I'm standing in line, and I see in front of me, I'm like a few people back, this gal is just, she's just not having a good day, right? You could just tell on her facial expression, the way she's treating people, that she's just not happy. And so I'm thinking to myself, like, you know what? I am going to be the nicest, kindest, most gentle person ever, and I'm going to win her for the Lord today, okay? Like, oh, I'm going to get her, you know? Um, which is not, not the right way to think about it, but that's what I was doing. I was like, I'm, gonna dis- I'm just going to bless her. I'm going to tip her like two bucks, and she's going to be blown away by my generosity. And so I walk up to her, and I say, hey, how, how's your day going? And she just looks down doesn't say anything. I said, oh, I said, sorry, how, how's your day going? She doesn't say anything. She just looks up and goes, <laughs> she goes, do you want something? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to want to punch you. Like, I want to, like, I want, that was, you've just, all this grace has left me. Like, I just, I'm so angry, you know. Um, but no, I swear, I'm pouring, pouring out to her, but I start getting this realization in my mind, like, why are, why are you upset? Like, the way I was being treated was like as if I showed up to her dorm room at midnight and said, hey, I need a decaf soy latte, right? It's like, this is your job. Like, you work here. So you should then treat me as the customer of the way. And here, here's the reason why this connects in this little silly story. Um, is because I, I think um, church, like I think we've, we've just missed our job description. Like I think we pour through this thing and we come here and we hear from the word of God and when we meet in small groups times, I think at the base level, we've just missed what we're called to do. Like we act as if like the world, like the world is this imposition upon us because they're asking us to die to self. When the reality is when you became a Christian, this is what you signed up for. And I don't know all your stories in here. Maybe not all of you are Christian. A lot of times it's not the case when we're in here. So if that's not you, okay, well then that's a different thing. But if you're here and you love Jesus and you're a Christian, 
what we signed up for, the job description, is self-sacrificial love for the sake of being a vessel of salvation in all places for all people at all times in this world. That's, that's who we are meant to be. And so what we get in this story is this guy, Paul, who is pretty much since chapter 9 of the book of Acts, okay, and we're, we're in chapter 27, so we're talking 18 chapters now. He's been kind of, well, God's the main character, but he uses this guy, Paul, for his glory and for his mission and for the gospel to continue to go out throughout the region, okay? And so as we see this guy early on in his ministry, he said, listen, you're going to end up in Rome and you're going to preach the gospel before Caesar. And so he is finally on the precipice of fulfilling this mission and the way he's going to get there physically is by going on a ship. Now, th- this would be somewhat perilous for Paul because already before this time, he's been in three shipwrecks prior, which just would make me want to say, I'm never going on a boat ever again. But for him, he gets back on it because this is where God is calling. And, and what we're going to learn is there are seven, I'm calling them vessel moments because I'm a preacher, and so we have to do kind of these double entendres, right? So God is a vessel, but he's also on a ship, which could be called a vessel. You see what I'm doing? And so there's seven vessel moments of God's grace pouring through Paul for the sake of love and grace and the mission of God, okay? Um, the best way, as I was thinking through this week, of how to describe, like in a very practical, tangible way, what this should look like for the church is this. Uh, my father, who, who, is, who is visiting, who asked me not to point him out today, so I won't, but he's somewhere in the room. Feel free to try and find him. And uh, it's like a where's Waldo. He's not as brown, so don't get confused, okay? So um, anyway, so he, one of his things is uh, he's old school, so he likes like one seasoning. Like there's this one seasoning that goes on absolutely everything, and it's called Tony Chacherese. Anyone ever had this before? Dude, all right, man, girl, there you go. Um, and so, <laughs> that's all. So Tony Chacherese, it's like a Cajun seasoning. It's in this green bottle, and it's really strong. And my, my pop just loves it, right? So when we go out to dinner, oftentimes, he does it less now. I think he's just starting to forget. And um, just kidding, pop. And uh, he's got this little salt shaker that he brings with him that is filled with Tony Chacherese, right? So we get to the restaurant, and he's like, well, let's put it, you know, for like a minute. And so, um, but he always says this, like, I'll be enjoying my meal. Everything's fine. He'll say to me, you know, make that better? I say, what, Pop? I say, Tony's. <laughs> Tony's would make that better. I said, nah, no thanks. This has happened multiple times this week as they've been visiting. Hey, Vince, you know, make that better? Tony's. And I'm like, ah, no thanks. I don't like it. That type of thing. Now, again, in this silly example, it is my firm belief, church, that wherever you work, wherever you play, wherever home and neighborhood you live in, wherever there's brokenness, wherever there's pain, wherever there's hurt, wherever there's sorrow, wherever there's difficulty, that we should be able to say, man, you see that situation, you know what make that situation better? The church. Like, you know, okay, so there's, there's hurt and there's despair. Insert the church, because the church, not because the church is great, because the church is the conduit and the vessel with which God is redeeming the world. And so is there pain there? Great. Let's send the church. Like, the church should make it better. You, Christian, if you're here, you're part of that church. And so there's brokenness and pain and hurt and sorrow. Whether there is difficulty and persecution, wherever there is injustice, it should be. We look upon it and say, man, you don't make that situation better as the church because they'll come in in self-sacrificial love. And so that's just for a litmus test for us. Is this true? Does, does redemption flagstaff in all arenas, in all areas, with all people, do we make it better? 
Are we places of love and grace? Okay, so that, that's the question I want to kind of form us as we go around. And so Acts 27, 1 through 13, I'm just going to summarize it just for sake of time for these first 13 verses. Paul is on this ship and they're sailing along and things are not going super well. Okay, uh, there's like kind of they get lost and it's confusing and they're not sure where they're going. And so Paul in the midst of this, having now been in three shipwrecks, is pretty familiar with the seas. And so this first vessel moment is this. Paul uses his prior experience that God has brought him through to be a warning sign for impending danger for the people on board. He says, listen up guys, like I've been through this and I've seen this and guess what? If we continue on this path, it's going to go bad. The ship's going down. And we've all had this moment in your past, right, where you have these experiences in life where you lived them and they were terrible in the moment, right? But you get on the other end of it and you look back and you say, you know what, I probably wouldn't change a thing because they've made me who I am. God has used them for redemption and he uses them, right, to bless and care for other people. This, this is that first vessel moment for Paul. So now, knowing this shipwreck, he goes to the centurion and says, hey guys, like, this is gonna go bad for us. Now, the centurion does not listen this time because he is, uh, it's, literally it says he's in uh, like a desire to get to the town of Phoenix. And, and that's actually, the town in there did make that up, but it does make sense that Phoenix is associated with bad things, okay? And so, um, got you, got you, Phoenicians. Um, <laughs> And so that's, that's festival moment number one, okay? Now we move to number two. Verse 14, let's read together. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. <coughs> Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay upon us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Okay. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and have not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God. That will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Okay, so the, the second vessel moment, right? So there's this, the ship's not looking good. I'm guessing there's some fear amongst the crew and the soldiers and the prisoners and everyone on board. Are we going to die? And Paul comes and he says, listen up, guys. Like, you should have listened, but you didn't. But I want you to know something. And he shares with them God's word and says, God, God spoke to me. The God I belong to has spoken and my presence is going to deliver us because there's work for me to do. And so he comes in with God's word to the people to bring about good news in the midst of this impending danger, okay? Now, here's one of the things that I love, this, this kind of contrast of this story with another Old Testament story. So if you're familiar with your Bible, or if you just kind of grew up in the church, you probably heard of the story of this guy named Jonah, right? So Jonah was called by God, I want you to go preach to the Ninevites, the crazy Ninevites, they need to hear the gospel too. And Jonah says, no, man, I don't want to do that. So he goes and runs from God, and he, what is he? he gets on a ship, 
right? And he's sailing that ship across the seas, and the seas begin to rage and roar because God is upset and frustrated that Jonah has not listened. And it's Jonah's presence on that boat that's bringing calamity upon them in his disobedience to God. But in Paul's obedience to the mission of God, it is sheerly his presence that is bringing salvation to those on this ship. This contrast is amazing and shows, I think, this second vessel moment of of Paul in his presence and in God's word bringing about encouragement and grace, okay? Um, Verses 27 through 32, I know we're moving quick. That's kind of for time's sake. We had a lot of stuff today, but verses 27 through 32, let me paraphrase as well. Day 14 comes along, so we've been on this ship now for uh, for two whole weeks. The crew now desires to abandon ship because they see this is not going well. Now, has anyone, is anyone, any sailors in here? Any people that sail? Yeah, Jake, do you? Okay, so Jake, anybody else? Jake, come on up here. No, I'm just kidding, say that. Um, so when you sail, though, uh, if you don't have a crew, what do you think happens? If you don't know what you're doing, you crash the ship, right? So everyone who knows about this whole thing, sailing a ship from one place to another, A to B, wants to leave now. And the centurion's going to allow it. He's like, all right, you guys do you, okay? But Paul comes up to the centurion, and this time, not experience, not God's word, but rather just plain old, I think, wisdom and common sense. Paul inserted in this moment, his presence reminds the centurion, hey, if all the crew leaves, everyone's going to die because no one knows how to steer this ship the right way. And so in the moment of anxiety, in the moment of frustration and fear for the centurion and the soldiers, a clear head like Paul's, a clear heart who is confident in what the Lord is doing, whose anxiety is not there because he trusts in God, can in a clear head and in wisdom say, hey guys, if these guys leave, we're done. And so Paul, in that, in the first time he saves by his presence, saves the whole ship. In the second one, by his presence, he now is saving the centurion and the soldiers, those with whom are keeping him captive on his way to Rome for his trial, okay? Now, the second vessel moment that also kind of comes in the midst of this is there's 276, they kind of estimate, that are on board this ship at this time, okay? So a lot of people now saved in this moment, but they say that no one's eating, right? So the centurion and the soldiers are so racked with anxiety and fear that they will not eat. And so this is not a helpful thing. When you've been on the sea for 14 days, there's impending danger and you will not eat the food that's there. And so in a very practical, again, not just experience, not just God's word and not just wisdom, in a very physical, tangible, let me help you out, he goes to the soldiers and offers them all the food and says, you need to eat up, take heart, take energy, because the rest is still to come. And so in this fourth vessel moment, it's just a very tangible, his physical presence in a physical offering blesses the crew and the soldiers and the prisoners and all that are on board. Is this true? Like already, let's take kind of a triage of the moment. Like do we, do we see ourselves as in every moment at all places with all people, are we constantly thinking through how am I a conduit for God's grace to those around me? Whether it be spiritual, emotional, physical, and in what ways? So... Um, Back in the day, I used to travel quite a bit. We were on a plane. And uh, has anyone, this is very interactive today, I didn't mean this, but how many people have uh, been in like pretty intense turbulence on a flight? Like I'm talking like shaking pretty good. Okay, so a good handful is, so you know this. So we're on a flight in East Asia and, and the plane just starts, it just starts going, right? And it's funny because if you look at videos that they film of like the outside of a plane when turbulence, it just looks like it's going straight, but we think it's, you know, upside down at some point, you know? Um, and so turbulence is, is absolutely crazy. So 
Um, my buddy James, and I, who was my travel partner at the time, we had this conversation well before kind of all of our travels commenced. And we said, hey, man, if the plane's ever going to go down, right? Because there had been some stories of planes crashing. We were doing some trips in Africa and stuff like that. So if the plane's ever going down, what will we do? Like, do we like entreat and pray to the Lord that he will allow the plane to be fixed, come upon eagle's wings, you know, and soar so everyone is saved that way? Or, man, do we run up to the PA system and start preaching the four spiritual laws and get everybody saved before it's done? Like, hey guys, we got three minutes, okay? So let me, right? And so we literally like, well, let's divide them up. Okay? And so James is the holier, I think closer to the Lord one, and so he's like, well, I'll pray. Does that make sense? Okay? I'm the loud, obnoxious one. So like, well, you go yell at people from the front of the plane. Okay? So we're flying in East Asia, and it is just chaos. And there's drinks flying in the air. There's carts. The doors are open. Like, not the door to the airplane, but like the flappy, you know, the luggage doors are fl- flying open, luggage everywhere. And we look at James, and he's like, is it time? I said, it's time, right? And so... He goes, he starts praying out loud, just like, God, we just pray and entreat, like, just getting after it, you know? And people are like, what is going on? Like, you know, like, what is going on? And then I chickened out. I, I did not go to the front of the plane and grab it, but uh, I start preaching the gospel and sharing, because we were on staff of Campus Crusade for Christ, so we share the four spiritual laws. And so I was like, all right, hey, who here knows Jesus, right? And a couple people raised their hand kind of sheepishly. I was like, the rest of y'all need to listen up. And so I start, hey, rule number one. God created you, loves you, has a greater purpose for you. Rule number two, you're sinful and flawed and you need a savior. Rule three, Jesus is that savior. Rule four, believe in him, repent of your sins and you will be saved, right? And so I'm just giving this all. But honestly, by the time I got to like law three, uh, the plane steadied out and I didn't know if I should finish. <laughs> I was like, uh. And so I look over at James, well, James worked, right? And so we, we talk. And so anyway, what was amazing is that was only like halfway into the flight. We started having these conversations with these people. And I tell you, it was just this amazing moment where out of nowhere, there was an opportunity to just be real and testify to the reality of, look, dude, we might die right now. So there's no, like, why not, right? And it really struck me of like, man, why would I do that when I think I'm six minutes from death when the reality is, is that all of us in the room are, could be six minutes from death? Like, I, mean, I don't mean that as a scare tactic. I just mean like the reality of just like we just don't know, right? Like we just don't know when the world's coming to an end. We don't know when our time's coming to an end. And we possess church, this message of grace, love, reconciliation, and hope. And oftentimes we keep it right in here. May it not be so, right? And the opportunities that we had to just minister to them and the comfort experience, they're like, man, I didn't know what you were saying. I didn't know what that dude was praying, but peace came upon me. And we're just hearing these stories, this incredible moment. And I truly believe that for everyone in the room that loves Christ, that there are always these opportunities to be a witness and an ambassador for Jesus. And I think too often we punt on them. We say, man, yeah, no, I could, I could love like that. I could, I could care for this person. It doesn't always have to be this verbal proclamation. You've got to be weird like us. But it's, I mean, just the love and, and, and dispense grace that way. I think those opportunities come frequently in our days. And I think too often we say, I'll get it tomorrow. Okay. May it not be so for God's people. So let's continue on moving into vessel, vessel moment number five, uh, verse 39. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, and at the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach, but striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. 
the bow, the bow, stuck and remained uh, immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was all, and so it was that all were brought safely to land. This this next vessel moment, okay? So okay, remember, Paul has already, by his presence and by kind of being this conduit, this vessel of grace, has saved the whole ship, right? He he saved the crew and he saved the soldiers, and now his presence saves the prisoners. Okay, so because they want to kill him. So here's the story. If you don't know, soldiers were like way tied to their prisoners. In other words, if they returned to Rome without the prisoners that were supposed to be brought over, they could be killed themselves, right? And so they were going to kill all the prisoners right there. Why, why keep them alive and risk my own life? What if they escape? So instead, uh, so instead of killing them, the centurion steps in and says, no, man, like, I, I want to save Paul. Like, uh, uh, Paul's my guy. Like Paul's, Paul's been there. Have you seen what Paul's been doing this whole time and his sheer presence and his investment and the constant work that he's been doing with the people not only spares him but spares the prisoners as well. That there's favor that is given to those on the outside because of the work that he continues to do, that self-sacrificial love for the sake of the other, the giving away the vessel moments in Paul's life. And so that was number five, okay? Let's move into Acts chapter 28, verses one through 10. We'll cover the last couple. It says, verse one, after we were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to them, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Okay, so just like guy with the worst luck ever, okay? So you just like almost, or you've been four shipwrecks now. You're constantly beaten in prison. There's all these things, and you're having these terrible times on the boat. And then you get off the ship, and you're like, finally, like dry land. Nothing could possibly go wrong. And so they're all sitting around having a bonfire, making s'mores, and out of the fire comes a viper, right? Like this a viper comes and bites onto his hand. And now if you're watching this, I would assume the same thing. Like, that guy had it coming, right? <laughs> like, that's, that's on him. Like, we knew it was in there, but still, that's on that guy, right? And so this viper bites on, and they're expecting, like us all, that if a viper bites somebody, you're like, well, that dude's gonna die. He doesn't die, he lives. He shakes, like, he shakes off the snake. Like, is that no big deal? And he lives, and they transition from, well, this dude is, this dude's just this crazy... I don't know, who knows what he'd share at that point, but not thinking much about him, and then they think he's a god. Now, we don't get it overtly in the text, but knowing Paul, having studied him now, right, for the last years, he'd gone through the book of Acts, if you go through his letters, this dude was decently bold. And so my guess is that he took this moment to preach and share the gospel with everyone in that circle at the fire and those people around. And my guess is, again, based on the trajectory of the book of Acts, is that it worked for a handful, if not more. Right? That in this opportunity where it seemed like, man, this just couldn't get any worse, God continually lining him up in places with people that he would be a dispenser of God's grace that people would be saved. Okay? Always kind of on alert for the sake of the other. So um, this last vessel moment in, uh, starts in verse 7. 
and says this, now in the neighborhood of that place where lands belonged to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and we were about to sail. They put on board whatever we needed. It's this obvious vessel uh, moment, this last vessel moment just in this story. And Paul, in his presence, in his obedience, brings literally healing to an entire island. This like physical, spiritual, emotional healing to an entire island. Again, he, should, he was shipwrecked there. So if, if this is me, right, and this is often our lives, you're like, man, life is chaos right now. How did I end up here? And I'm telling you, you ended up there because of the sovereignty of God. So in the midst of his sovereignty, continue to act out in your job description to love and to live for the sake of others, all by the power of God, okay? And so that was the last vessel moment, God constantly working through him and hopefully working through us. Now, here's where we land, okay? Here's where we land. I think we're not great at this, right? And I think it's because oftentimes we don't necessarily treat God or see God the way we should or see his mission or see some aspect of our faith or the church, and here's what I mean. Have, have, has everyone been to Sam's Club before? Yeah, probably. Um, what's the best part of Sam's Club? Samples, right? Without a doubt, right? You go in, you're like, I guess I'll get something, but I'm really here for the samples, okay? Um, which I'll have you know now, you don't need a membership card to get in. So if you just want to grab a sample, come back out, you do you, okay? Um, that's also maybe stealing, so don't do that. Um, <laughs> But you can go in and get these samples, right? So you walk up, and usually, how does this go? The sample's sitting there. The nice lady or nice man is sitting there, and they've just prepared this food. And you walk up, and you pretend interest, right? You're like, hey, what, what is this? Oh, it's carne asada. Okay. I've never had that before. <laughs> um, what does it taste like, you know? And, and then you kind of take a bite, and, and you're slowly, like, inching away, but you don't want to leave because it's weird. Like, they're like, are you going to buy it? You're like, no, 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 you're, I, see ya, right? And it's just so weird. And you just take that sample and, and you go, and, and no joke, we, we often go, me, Anthony, and Andy, I don't know where she's at, but we'll, we love the Very Berry Sunday, and so we'll get like 20 minutes off work, go to Very Berry Sunday, right, and some samples. And so we're there quite a bit, and so this last time we go, I start thinking through this idea, and I think it's the, I, I think honestly what we often do as Christians is I think we sample Jesus. Like, I, I think we, we come to God and we say, yeah, I'll, I'll take a little bit of that. I'll, you know, like, give me maybe the salvation part. And then and we kind of like awkwardly step away because we, listen, if you've read this and, and if you've been here, right, we know the Bible calls us to more. It's asking for more. Are you going to buy this product, right? Are you going to invest in the kingdom of God? Are you going to live out your job description? It's, it's asking us over and over and over in the scripture. But I think we take, we take the sample and we slowly kind of inch away because, heaven forbid, there would be kind of an investment on our end, that, that we would invest our, our finances, that we would invest our resources, we would invest our time, we would invest our lives and actually say, no, this, this is so good. No, here, take it all because that's what the Bible and the gospel demand of those who are in his family. And the, the sampling, and here's how I know oftentimes that we just sample it, is that usually the sample comes in the form of the Sunday service. It's like, well, you know what? Like, yeah, I'll sample a little bit of Jesus every week for an hour and a half. 
and then I'll just eat whatever I want the rest of the time. And then we'll come back a week later, grab another sample, and then go home. And listen, this is, not a, this is not meant to be kind of a shame, like, hey, you need to do more at this church. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying if you love Jesus, this thing is calling you far more than just an hour and a half a week. It's asking for your whole life. It's asking that you in every circumstance, not just, listen, not through our programs, in your life, when you go home, when you go to work, all that, to be a Christian, to self-sacrificially pour it out for the sake of the other, to be a vessel and a conduit of the grace of God. And I think the how we land in this last point with this, and if you take home anything, let it be this. In Paul, uh, in the book of Philippians, and this in Philippians is written about nine or ten years prior to where we're at in the narrative of Acts, okay? Um, and when he writes this, he writes some of those profound honesty about his heart, and I think it reveals to us about how, man, in the, in the presence of all the persecution, all the things he's been through, how he continually chooses to be self-sacrificially giving away grace in the gospel. And he says this in, in chapter 3, verse 8. It says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, right? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I, I, think, I think the reason why we constantly see this near Paul, how are, you, how are you doing this, man? How do we leave this place and try to employ? How do I be a vessel of grace in all times, in all places, with all people? How do we do that, church? I mean, it has to start with this resolution, right? Because if it's like, all right, let's work really hard. Let's get out there. And when you leave, man, just do your best to be a vessel of grace. Man, I tell you, it's going to last you until tomorrow morning. But if you're constantly resolved to return yourself always to the gospel that says the rest of these things pale in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. If that's true, then listen, those opportunities as they come, we begin to knock them out of the park. But it must start with the gospel. It has to start with Jesus. What you believe, what you know, where in your priority does Jesus land? When he's on top, man, the decisions get far easier. Now, I get it. I'm in, the, I'm in that boat with you, right? Like, I'm not doing this perfectly. And so I know that on the day-to-day, even in, in, in a single day, right, there's moments where, like, yeah, he's here. And then, man, I make a terrible decision or I choose something different that I get wooed by, as C.S. Lewis would say, the lover's less wild, right? That, that he gets knocked down the pedestal, man, but the, the desire, the movement of the heart of a Christian is to put him back up always and say, man, nothing is better than you. And when we resolve that, when we get that, and it's always a learning process, when we start moving that direction, and this whole, I mean, I'm going to be a blessing and a dispenser of God's grace 24-7, 365 in all places for all people, man, that becomes possible. But it has to start with the gospel. And so next week, we get to wrap this, this book up. It's been 40 weeks. I'm excited to put a bow on the end of the book of the Acts with all of you. Um, but before we get there, man, Let's take this week, even as we reflect now in just a moment, 
to just celebrate the work of God, to cherish what Jesus has done. And not just, listen, not just what he's done, but cherish the person of Jesus who is alive and active and the Savior of the world. Amen. Let's pray.